When I'm around my uh, Spanish-speaking friends, I always use the word mucho. It just, it means a lot to them. It means a lot to them. It just means so much. All right. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we are continuing a series that we began last Sunday on the seven churches of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 that we're, that we're in. This week, we are going to focus in on the first church that Jesus highlights. It is the church of Ephesus. The title of our message today is Love at Last Sight. You've all heard the phrase, it was love at first sight. When you met your significant other, was it love at first sight? Well, how many times in the Lord, it's love at first sight? When we, when we fall in love with Jesus, we give our hearts to him, it's love at first sight. But let me ask you a question. Is it also love at last sight? I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. In fact, I want to love Jesus more and be more passionate and dedicated to him at the end of my life than I was at the beginning of my life when I knew him. I want to have love at last sight. In 96 AD, 65 years after the resurrection, the apostle John was exiled by the emperor Domitian to the island of Patmos. Go ahead and put up the picture of the seven churches in, the, in Asia. This is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. There, are seven ch- there were more churches actually in that region, but here are the seven prominent ones that Jesus had a message for. And, and how many know that that message is a message for all of uh, the church Uh, history after that. It was on this island that Jesus appeared to the now significantly aged apostle and gave him encouragement, instruction, and correction for the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, And we talked about last week how these are timeless messages for you and for me today. Now, depending on the season of life you're in, how many of you, we're all on a season of life. Depending on the season that you're in, you might identify more with one of these churches, and then in another season, identify more with another church Um, that he's going to speak to. I want to remind you that Jesus gave a pattern of instruction to these churches um, that I like to call the Jesus love sandwich, right? How many know what the love sandwich is? I talked about this last week. That is this. If you have something challenging to say to someone, it's best paired with some encouragement and some nice things. So what do you do? I love you very much. What you're doing is not working very well. I love you very much. And then you feed that to someone. Eat that. And they like the bread, and they don't like the meat so much. But, but it's better to give it in the love sandwich, right? The Jesus love sandwich is slightly different, but the same principle. Thank God that the Lord is graceful to us. He doesn't just hammer us, you know. Slightly different. He gave him this. Uh, to most of the churches follow this exact pattern. There was a, for each of the churches, a commendation, a correction, counsel, and in a crown. The commendation is, here are your strengths. Here's what you're doing well. The correction is, uh, here's your weaknesses. Here's, here's what you're not doing well. Here's my counsel. Here's Jesus' instruction. And then a crown. There's a promise connected to it um, if you do it Christ's way. This week, we're looking at the most prominent and influential church of the first century. This is the church of Eph- Ephesus. There was somewhere between, um, at, in 100 AD, there was somewhere between 400,000 and 500,000 people living in Ephesus. It was one of the, the largest churches um, in the Roman Empire. 
at that time. Uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is uh, the temple of Artemis uh, that was in Ephesus. If you, you can go there today and see what's left of the temple of Artemis. There is a lot written in the New Testament about the church of Ephesus. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to kind of go through here what he says to Ephesus. It says this, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, um, <clears throat> write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Last week we talked about the fact that the seven stars are the seven pastoral leaders over the seven churches. The, the word angel just simply means messenger. And that, that word, depending on where it's used and the context that it's used in, in the Bible, can mean an angelic being, but it can also be a human messenger. In this case, I believe it's a human messenger that it's talking about. But notice the, um, and of course, the seven churches are the seven uh, lampstands. Notice the, Jesus right away, the, the encouragement right away. Jesus wants to communicate, I love you, I'm for you, I'm affirming you, I'm committed to you, right? That's what he's communicating in all these churches. I'm totally committed to you. He says to these pastoral messengers, I'm holding you in my right hand. I'm upholding you. I am sustaining you. I think that's such an, as a, as a pastor, as a leader, I love that, that the, 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 the risen Christ would say, yeah, I'm holding you in my right hand. I'm sustaining you. I'm leading you. But I think anyone in a leadership position, if you've been given any influence, any leadership position that God gave to you, I think anyone can say this of myself. If Christ gave you that leadership position, and that could be your family, that could be your homeschooling your kids, that could be a business, that could be a church. That could be any influence that God gave you. How many know that he's holding you in his right hand? <clears throat> There's a saying that uh, goes like this. I heard this, and I, this has always stuck with me. Whatever you build your ministry on is what you will have to sustain it on. If you build your ministry on promoting yourself, you'll have to sustain it on promoting yourself. If you build a ministry on hype, how many know you have to sustain it on hype? And hype gets old. But if you let the risen Lord uphold you, sustain you, how many know that's a recipe for longevity? Because you can rely on him. All right, let's look at what else he says. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. What an amazing assurance we have knowing that he walks among us. We, just now we're in these prayer gatherings. And I just had to send Jesus was walking among us. He's walking among the lampstands. He's walking among his churches. He is with us. Amen? That's such an amazing assurance. Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. There's something special about coming together as believers. Listen, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He's with you when you're all alone. But how many know there's something special when we gather intentionally as Christ's followers. He shows up in a, in a unique and a different way. This is why we need to gather. When we assemble to worship God, Jesus here, walking the aisles, ministering to hearts. All right, verse 2. He's going to start with accommodation. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I love that the risen Lord acknowledges our hard work, our perseverance, our deeds. He sees all of your hard work. Jesus sees it all. He sees you when you are serving with us over at the new building, and that's been so fun. Thank you so much for all of you who are over there. Jesus uh, sees you when you're serving the kids' ministry, greeting at the door. He, he also sees when you give only to be noticed by him. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 42. 
If you even give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. What an amazing promise of scripture that Jesus sees the little things. And how many know if he sees the little things, he notices the small things, he's not going to forget the big things either. And some of you have sacrificed big, have served big, know that the Lord sees that. He continues with the the accommodation, uh, verse 2. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Here's an amazing thing about the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was blessed to have a deep bench of five-fold leaders, that is apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and they were excellent at steering the church towards sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is very important. Um, let, me, let me talk a little bit about this, how, how this church was established in truth. First of all, the Apostle Paul, can you imagine going to the church, the Apostle Paul himself planted? The Apostle Paul established this church in the book of Acts. You can read about this in Acts 19. Then Paul places Timothy over the church and continues pers- to personally mentor Timothy and his leadership. There are three pastoral uh, leadership epistles in the New Testament. Two of them are written to Timothy from Paul. So we get to, we get to see in on, on his uh, mentorship of Timothy. But how, how amazing would that be to attend the church where your pastor was personally being um, mentored by the Apostle Paul? How many would like to go to that church? <laughs> right? <clears throat> Amen. So there's this, they have this deep bench. They have Paul, Apollos had spoke there. Timothy was the pastor there. And then on top of this, the, we don't know when exactly this happened, but we do know that the apostle John moved from Jerusalem to Ephesus and attended the church of Ephesus. Can you imagine going to the church where the apostle John, the eyewitness of his majesty, attended? Can you imagine that? John, of course, very aged at this at this point, God commends them for their sound doctrine. This is also possible, but not provable. It's also possible that Mary, the mother of Jesus, may have attended the church of Ephesus. And here's why. We know that Mary lived with the apostle John from the time of the crucifixion until, she, until her death. This is a John 19.27. And there are actually two traditions that talk about Mary's uh, death, Mary's grave, One tradition says she died in Jerusalem. Another tradition says that she died in Ephesus and her grave is in Ephesus. Can you, but if that's true, hypothetically speaking, we know that John was there um, towards the the latter part of of Ephesus. Can you imagine going to the church, Timothy's leading it, the apostle John's there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in attendance at the church? I don't know about you, but I'd have some questions for those people. (laughs) Amen? I'm like, tell me about, um, when little Je- tell me about little Jesus, you know. <laughs> tell me about when you lost Jesus for a few days. What happened there? What was that about? <sighs> I'd have some questions for those folks. He continues with accommodation, verse 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Lots of accommodation for, for this church in Ephesus. They've done so much well, but he has a correction for him. Verse 4, here's his correction. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Whew. 
You have left your first love. I'm going to just kind of read through the rest of this portion here, and we'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 5, he's going to give them some counsel now. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He's going to give them a warning here. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its, from its place. Um, the lampstand is, of course, the church. And removing the lampstand from its place, Jesus is saying, I will personally remove this lampstand from its place. I will take your influence from you. In other words, you need to get this right. You're the church of Ephesus. You're the largest, most influential church at that time. All these other churches are looking to you. You've got apostles going to this church. You've got amazing leaders going to church. You're doing so many things right. You've lost your first love. I need you to repent or I'm going to remove your influence from you. What a stern warning. And then he kind of commends them some more. Verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Um, notice he doesn't hate the, uh, the Nicolaitans, but he does hate their deeds, their, their uh, practices. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here's the crown. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Okay, let's, uh, let's dissect this a little bit. Um, let's look at verse 4 in the Amplified Version. Revelation 2, 4 in the Amplified Version. But I have this charge against you, that you left, you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of love that you had, uh, that you first had, um, I'm sorry, let me read that again. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. Wow. Church, this is so dangerous and it can happen so easily because how many know human nature can easily drift from fiery, passionate love to, to being, um, to mediocrity. But let me ask you this question. I just find this to be so fascinating. How does the church that is established by Paul, brought up under Timothy, Apollos is preaching there. They have an eyewitness of Jesus himself, the Apostle John, possibly Mary, the mother of our Lord. How do they go from a passionate, fiery love church to forsaking their passion? How does this happen? This influential church. How many know, I think we've all at times and seasons gone, uh, been in the boat where we can get busy doing good things, things that are noble, things that are um, serving God, but we can lose that fiery passion for the, the Lord. He says, you have omitted, you have neglected, you have abandoned the most important thing about your relationship with God, your love for the Lord. You have a, uh, the word lost there, you left. It basically means you, you left it. How many know if you, my wife plays guitar. Some of you are artists. How many know, like, you don't have to pick that thing up every day. But basically, you have this fiery, passionate love for the Lord, and it's possible to just lay that there and do a bunch of other things and go a long time without picking that up. But how many know we need to pick this up every single day? We have to pick up our love and devotion to Christ every single day and walk in this. Jesus gives us three things we need to do to get back to what matters most. If you're in this boat, here's what you need to do. How to get back your passion for God. Number one, remember. Revelation 2.5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. The NIV says this, consider how far you have fallen. Jesus is literally saying, take inventory of where you were and where you are now. And I want you to feel the sobriety of how far you've fallen and how much you have actually lost. 
And he wants us to feel that emotion, to sense the sense of loss that, we, that we've had in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus says, remember what it was like when you first believed, when you first came to me, when it was love at first sight. What was that like? How many of you remember when you, I, I don't know your, your history, but when you first came to your uh, faith in Christ, there's that just, I'm in, I'm in love. It's love at first sight. And everything is about love and Jesus and giving my heart and my life to him. Amen. But then responsibilities come. And listen, the responsibilities are good. They're actually blessings in our lives. These are not overtly evil things. In fact, they're the product of doing things the right way, but they themselves can become what distracts us from our first love. We've got a passionate, fiery group of young folk down here. I love our, our youth group. And y'all can live this way, I'm declaring it, for the next 50 years of your life. You, you do not have to grow, um, you do not have to grow uh, cold in your, in your love. But how many know there's things that come our way, and they're blessings, like getting married and having kids, uh, having a career and starting a business, even ministry, even ministry, serving God, you can serve the Lord, doing amazing things for him and lose that fiery love and passion for the Lord. Just because you're in full-time ministry or any ministry doesn't mean you're like automatically having a fiery love passion for Jesus. Jesus says, remember when I was the only thing you had. I blessed you. I, I put more in your life, but you got too busy. Ephesus was the leading church, the most prominent church of the day, yet they lost their first love. Jesus says, number one, remember from where you have fallen. Number two, he says, repent. First, you got to remember, take inventory, feel that pain, but then you need to repent. You need to turn from it. You need to change your thinking. He says this, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I love Jesus gives them the pathway right back. He doesn't just rebuke them. He says, here's the pathway back. Do the things you used to do. Remembering isn't enough. We must now repent and change course. We need, what do we need to do? We need to shift our priorities and do the first things. How many remember Mary of Bethany? She was, she was a woman who got to sit at the feet of Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha's busy doing all this stuff working, which is good. How many know there's a, there's a time and place to like get busy? You can't, you can't only sit at the feet of Jesus because you also have bills to pay and like kids to take care of, right? But when Jesus is in the room, you should probably sit at his feet. <clears throat> Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus when there was work that needed to be done. Jesus, so when Mary, I'm sorry, when Martha says to Jesus, tell her to get up and, and get working, she's annoyed at her sister. Jesus said this, Luke 10, 42, few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Few things are needed, indeed only one. Look at the way King David said this, Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have a desire, Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to choir in his temple. One thing, amen? One thing is needed. So remember, repent. Number three, number three, repeat. Notice how they're all R words. Okay, that's a pastor trick right there. Okay, because you're going to need to remember. It's got to be sticky. 
repeat what you did when you were first on fire for the Lord and then do it again and do it again and do it again. Repeat. This is the Lord's counsel to anyone who's here who has fallen out of love with Jesus. You had a passionate love relationship for him. His counsel is remember, repent, repeat. Do the things you did at first. I don't know your story of what it was like when you first came to Jesus. Maybe... Maybe you need to go back and start doing some of those things. Maybe some of you, it's been a while since you've come up to the front and danced before the Lord and raised your hands. Or maybe it's been a while since you've gone out witnessing and boldly proclaiming Jesus. I don't know what it was when you, when you came to Christ and when your heart came alive to him. But you need, if you've fallen out of love with him, or, or I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with God. But I'm saying you've lost that passion. You've lost that love and feeling. And we're going to close with that song. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Whoa, whoa. (laughs) When my wife and I first got married, we we didn't have kids at first, and we would take vacations, and we would drive to to Kansas City, Missouri, and go, like, hang out in the House of Prayer at um, International House of Prayer. Like, there's those flexibility and malleability. I remember when I was... um, Brand new in ministry, there was, there was actually, um, they used to do a one thing conference out there and there was a move of God happening out there and it was, it was uh, New Year's Eve and it, it, the conference had been going on a few days. I'm, I'm here in Colorado and I'm like, I've got to get out there. I've got to get out there. And Emily's like, go. And I'm like, are you serious? So I pack a bag. This is New Year's Eve. I pack a bag. I'm driving to the airport. I don't even have a ticket yet. I'm driving to the airport. My wife calls and sets it up, gets me a ticket. So that when I arrive at the, the airport, I've got a ticket, and then I fly to Kansas City for one session. I went to one session and drove back with people that were out there. Like, that is some of the things we used to do to be on fire for the Lord. And I'm just saying, like, some of us need to get back to those kind of things. Like, you hear that, that there's a move of the Spirit happening in another part of the country. Like, go there. Like, go there. Go check it out and bring it back here, would you? Come on and come release it to the rest of us. When I was um, young in the Lord, I mean, God really encountered my life, not so much um, a little bit as a teenager, but more so, I'd say, in my young adult years, my young 20s. One of the things I used to love to do, and I still try to do this every once in a while, is I'll go drive out into the middle of a cornfield at night by myself, get out of my car and just pace and pray and just pray in tongues and, and just, just look at the, the God's creation, the stars and the heaven and just spend time with Jesus and just declare things over my family. Come on. Things like that. I don't know your story, but you need to get back to those things. If you've drifted from the Lord, you've drifted in your passion. One time I was out in a cornfield and it was daytime and I was near an oil well, and I'm crying because I'm just, like, encountering Jesus. And this truck rolls up. I'm like, oh, no, what is this? And this guy gets out, and he's like, hey, what are you doing out here, you know? I'm like, I'm just, you know, praying and stuff. <laughs> he's like, okay, but you don't be so close to the well, right? I'm like, okay, I'll go further away. Anyway. This rough oil worker guy probably thought my girlfriend dumped me or something crazy. It's like out there crying or on drugs or something. I don't know. Do the things you did at first. Get back to those things. Amen. That's that's Lord's counsel. Remember, repent, repeat. 
How many remember when you, when you first started dating, and for those of you who are married, when you first started dating your spouse, it's like passion, and you stay up late talking to them, you miss sleep, you, you go on dates, you're doing everything for them. How many want to get, if you want to get the passion back into your marriage, you know what you do? Do the things you did at first. Some of you, you got encumbered with lots of kids and careers and responsibilities. This is why date nights are important. This is why going out of your way to surprise your spouse. Do some of the things you did at first to get that passion back. How do we, how do we get back? Remember, repent, repeat. It's easy to drift. And many of these things are good things. They're God's blessings in our lives. The Lord does bless us, but sometimes his blessings can actually distract us from the things that are most important. You may have heard it said that good is the enemy of best. There are a lot of good things in our lives that are the enemy of best, but one thing is needed. I'll conclude with this. We've all heard the phrase, love at first sight. But what does it look like to maintain this passion for the Lord for years? I want to have a love at last sight. I think of like people like Pastor Howard Skinner. The man loved Jesus so much. In fact, he wanted to die so he can go be with Jesus. He's like, I'm done. I'm ready. I think he could have lived longer, but he was just like, I want to go be with Jesus. And that man loved Jesus so much. I'm so honored to be able to, to have spent the last uh, you know, months of his life um, around him. I want to be like that. It's one thing to begin strong in the Lord. It's another thing to maintain that passion for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more. It's not radical Christianity. If you all think about, look, what is radical Christianity? Radical Christianity isn't, isn't, I went on a missions trip, or I went to the conference once, or I went to the 24-hour prayer meeting once. Like, those are good things. Those are, those are passionate things. I'll tell you what radical Christianity is. Doing that for decades. Going hard after God and staying steady in Jesus Steady in your relationship with him for decades. That's radical Christianity and not losing your love for him. When God told the Ephesians that they lost their first love, what was he talking about? What things was he commanding them to return to? We have a really good picture of this in the scripture. Acts chapter 19, Ephesians, the church in Ephesus was a church born in revival. They were born in revival. This is, you can read all of Acts 19. You should go back and read it. You can see the first works that the Lord is encouraging them to get back to. I'm going to give one example from, from Acts 19. Acts 19, 19 and 20. This is, what, this is how passionate they were. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 uh, drac- dracimus. Sounds like Draculas. <laughs> but it's not. Let me tell you what that equates to in today's value. Four, about $4 million. So this wasn't like, oh yeah, we burned a few books. Like, no, these had tremendous value in those days. In fact, these people could have taken those scrolls and be like, I'm going to serve Jesus now. I'm going to sell my scrolls and serve Jesus. No, they were so passionate about God. They're like, I don't even care the value of this anymore. This sorcery, this witchcraft that we've been practicing, this, this demon worship, this idol worship. I'm done with this. I'm burning this. I'm following Jesus. He's worth it. This is what they were doing. This is one of the things when, he, when, when the risen Lord said to this church in Ephesus, you've lost your first love. 
This is one of the things that he was talking about. He was talking about what happened in Acts 19. It's also interesting to me that the apostle John attended the church in Ephesus. And here the risen Lord is saying all these great things about them, yet you've lost your first love. That probably cut John to the heart. John the beloved, John who had been with Jesus. He's saying, the church you're attending, the church you're helping lead lost its first love. These people, Acts 19, they were publicly, they were uh, unashamed to uh, follow Christ publicly. Paul established this church in 54 AD, 25 years after the resurrection. Let's just say this hypothetically. I think this is probably true. Let's say there was a passionate group of people who were teenagers, 20-somethings, and people in their 30s in 54 AD when Paul rolls in and, and the Spirit of God is moving and they're a church in revival. Okay, their 20s, teenagers, 30s. Check this out. The risen Lord is now speaking to this group who saw revival 40 years after the church is established. So here comes John, 40 years after Paul establishes his church. The teenagers are now in their 50s. The 20-year-olds are in their 60s. The 30-year-olds are in their 70s. Jesus says, remember how far you have fallen. You go back to your first love. Go back to the first things you were doing. I don't know what the situation was. Maybe the church in Ephesus got a little cocky about the fact that they were the largest, most influential church at the time. Most people, most money, biggest names. They had a living apostle, maybe even the mother of Jesus. Paul, Apollos, Timothy, all were part of that church. Maybe they got a little cocky and, and prideful about that. Look at us. But Jesus says, where is your passion? Where is your zeal? Where is the sacrifice you had for me in the beginning? You have sound doctrine. You've got good theology. You've got big names. You're working hard. You're persevering. You're doing lots of good things, and I love you, but you don't love me like you used to love me. That's his correction to this church. They needed to get back to making the first command first. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest command in all of Scripture, Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor. That's the first command, and that's where we have to live. <clears throat> As I close this message, you guys can go ahead and stand to your feet. I had a, I, during worship, I had a sense that um, I had a picture of a man. It doesn't have to be a man. This can be a number of people. Um, and you're, all the signs are there that you're like going through a midlife crisis. And you make, maybe want to buy a Corvette or something cool. I'm not against the Corvette. Like, go get the Corvette. But I felt like the Lord was saying this to you. If you're in that, that state where you got a little money now, you're an empty nester, you want to do some cool things. I felt like the Lord was not saying don't get the car or whatever it is that you want to get. But I feel like the Lord was saying, I can give you the most flashy thing possible. And that is a fiery, passionate love relationship with me. And you can wear that thing everywhere you go. So if you're in that midlife crisis range, it's usually men that are in this category and, you know, I don't know, 50s or so, 60s, whatever. Um, it can be women too. Like, 
return to your first love and let the passion of God be, be what you go to in these later years. And that's something that the world needs to see around you. In fact, I felt like the Lord was saying, you have the foundation. You've been brought up in these things. You have the history with God. And the next generation actually needs to see you live out this passion. So that's my, I just want to release that to you. So let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for every individual in this house. Lord, would you help us to, um, to just keep the first thing first and to never lose sight of that, God. And individually and corporately as a church, Lord, as we're, as we're moving, we're going to be moving buildings here in the next months, Lord. God, help us to, to be a church of your presence first and foremost, and that be our first priority, that we would never lose sight of the first command first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right. Love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you next week.